The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. everybody, it's Steven Schlenker. Welcome to issue 106 of the Major Spoilers Podcast, our Saturday edition, our special bonus episode this week. And this weekend, and depending on when you're listening to it, hello future people, uh, we're going to be talking about the upcoming San Diego Comic-Con Comics Arts Conference with Dr. Peter Coogan, who is the director for the comic, uh, the Comics Institute, Comic Arts Institute, is that correct, Peter? The Institute for Comics Studies. It's X. It. Okay, X. I'm and I'm to hoping to that. find somebody with the initial C O M to give me a bunch of money. <laughs> so you know, like Colm O'Meara, so it'll be the C O M I C X I C X. There we I-C-S. go. I C S. Tom X. Right. Doctor yeah. Coogan, welcome back to the show once again. It's always a pleasure to have you on because you bring such valuable information and and knowledge that, frankly, we don't always have. I am happy to be here. So let me let me kind of give everybody a background. Before I started doing major spoilers, I was doing uh, reporting and covering the pro video and consumer technology world. So I went to a lot of conventions, CES, NAB, SIGGRAPH, you name them, I was at them. And there's a part of the show that's all just, you know, show floor. This is where you have the Apple booths and the Avid and all these people showing off their wares, very much like you see it at, at the San Diego Comic-Con, where everybody's off uh, looking at what DC and Image and all these other people have to offer. And then you have this side part, especially at NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters, where you have some very hardcore presentations, uh, scholarly presentations on what's going on in the industry. And, you know, those are not really covered a lot. Uh, the same thing goes true with the San Diego Comic-Con and the uh, Comics Arts Conference that, Peter, that you're putting on. There is a huge list going on from essentially the time the show opens until it closes of scientific, or not, I shouldn't say scientific, scholarly papers and presentations on a variety of topics related to comic books. And this is all put on by 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 you and everybody else at the, at the ICS. And... Uh, First of all, maybe people should understand what what is the Institute for Comic Studies. Uh, the Institute for Comic Studies is a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the study, understanding, appreciation, and cultural legitimacy of comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got the I sort of got the idea for it uh, when I was talking to um, the publisher of Archie Comics, mm-hmm. uh, who said that when he used to be head of the of the uh, uh, the little sticker up in the corner of the uh, Comics Code Authority. Right. That anytime somebody, there'd be a negative article about comics, there'd be some controversy. And so he would respond to it. And they'd say, the reporters would say, well, you publish comics, right? He'd say, yes. But they, they'd say, well, so you have a conflict of interest. We don't care what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of odd given that most you know industries are kind of allowed to speak for themselves. But right. nobody cared. Um, and so... That was part of the genesis of I thought, well, maybe if we had an organization where it was it was half scholarly and half professional mm-hmm. represented the medium rather than the industry, mm-hmm. if that had existed back uh, in the in the fifties, maybe William Gaines wouldn't have had to testify, well, and we'd still have e c comics, yeah, you know it would have been the director of the Institute for Comic Studies up there in front of Congress, 
And the thing is, as, as an academic, I can say, look, you know, it's great to have comics and be able to study new comics, but there's a shake, there's Shakespeare scholars in every English department in every university, right? Mm -hmm. There's no new Shakespeare plays. Mm -hmm. So I'm not connected to the industry's, you know, money. Right. And so my interest in it, I'm much more disinterested. And what I'm here for is for the medium of comics, Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. the comics industry. So that's kind of the idea behind it is to have an organization that can think about and talk about the medium without, you know, being directly connected to the industry. Well, and that's why I think that these panels that you're hosting at the San Diego Comic-Con are so fascinating and so excellent because they're not connected to DC, they're not connected to Marvel, they're not connected to whoever other publishing company that's out there. Because quite frankly, listeners, if you go to San Diego Comic-Con and you're wanting to go in and sit in a Warner Brothers panel, for example, to find out what kind of spoiler information they're going to give about the next season of Smallville, well, guess what? You're not going to get it. These panels are really just kind of promo pieces for their company in order to get you hyped up and excited. What the comics art conference is, this is, the list is fascinating, are people actually having a, an intelligent discussion and an intelligent conversation about comic books and their impact in society or their impact in culture or, or whatever. And, uh, Peter, why don't we start with just, uh, you know, probably where the modern-day superhero comics come from, uh, Superman, with this uh, Siegel & Schuster uh, scholarship panel that you have uh, on, on the list. Yeah, and this one is uh, one of the ones I'm really excited about. Uh, we call it The Strange State of Siegel & Schuster Scholarship. So it's all S's. And uh, it's on Saturday, which mm-hmm. we plan some of our big panels for Saturday. Um, Brad Ricca is the director of uh, Last Son, a scholarly documentary on Siegel & Schuster. And that'll be showing, actually, at the Comic-Con International Film Festival on Saturday. Oh, okay, cool. So he's, he's in Cleveland at Case Western Reserve University, and he's been doing a lot of original, on-the-ground, primary research about Siegel & Schuster in Cleveland. And uh, his documentary, if you, you, can, you can Google it there, it's a green, I think, uh, greendoorfilms.com. Okay. Anyway, uh, you know, he's, he's dug up a lot of stuff that, that the stories that we've read about in, you know, Starenko's history of comics, even in, in uh, Jones's uh, Men of Tomorrow, mm-hmm. um, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of mythology. There's a lot of stuff that's been built up. A lot of people haven't gone back and looked at the original record. There's a lot of inaccuracies. So he's doing that. And then um, he's also got on the panel Craig Yo, who uh, have you have you seen Yo's new book, Secret Identity, the Fetish Art of Superman co-creator I, Joe Schuster? I have seen bits and pieces of it uh, just from what other people have talking talking about. It. And it looks fascinating where it's just all these bondage and S&M and leather fetish stuff uh, that uh, that he drew for a period of time in between uh, Superman and leading up to Superman. Yeah. And uh, well, I actually think it's also later. Yeah. I think he did it later into the, into the 50s. And one of the fascinating things, I heard him on Fresh Air. So if anybody wants to hear an interview with him, uh, you can go to uh, you know, Fresh Air on, on NPR. Um, he, this was after uh, the whole Superman thing, when he wasn't drawing Superman anymore. The people in the bondage art look like Clark Kent, Superman, yeah. and Lois Lane. <laughs> it's, 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 it's so disconcerting um, to see these images of essentially these characters that you've known forever and you recognize it's that really iconic yeah. Schuster art yeah. doing things. And, and so there's this whole background 
of Schuster in this kind of erotica, semi-porn stuff mm-hmm. that really doesn't fit with your image of him. And, and it's sort of unknown. Um, Yo came across, um, you know, just one of these magazines, one of these skin magazines in, in some, you know, back issue bin or some, you know, uh, quarter bin or whatever. And, and said, what? And he recognized it. He <laughs> yeah. said, what the hell is this? And so he's done a lot of fascinating work um, on that. And then um, the third panelist is Lauren Agostino. And she's an independent scholar. Um, she's a paralegal who has mm. collected the um, the the uh, um, information, the legal stuff from the 1947 lawsuit on Superboy. Wow! And she's got portions of the original Superboy script mm-hmm. that show really who created Superboy. And I, I don't know who it is yet because I've just gotten the uh, the kind of blurb from uh, Brad Ooh. Ricca who panel together he he located her he uh, uh kind of late in the process and kind of added her on and so i am uh, that is fascinating because well, with all the stuff that's going about superboy now and the, right the, the lawsuit about smallville and everything this is some stuff new stuff wow so this is going to be and so she's presenting some new information that hasn't been presented before probably outside of court proceedings which unless you want to wade through a entire transcript uh, this could be summarized pretty nicely in this panel. Yeah, and this stuff, a lot of this stuff isn't in the court transcripts. Oh, awesome. It's, it's, it's other stuff uh, that's been submitted. And, and you know, she'll, she's going to have a book out at, at some point in the future, um, but she's been working on this stuff for a while. She's sort of um, become a kind of, uh, a, 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 you know, scholar on her own. She's kind of a self-taught scholar, but mm-hmm. uh, is really doing fascinating and interesting work. That and you know she's never she's never uh, published anything she's never appeared anywhere so this is going to wow. be a premiere of brand new historical information about Siegel Schuster the creation of Superboy uh, I'm I'm very I'm so excited about this one when you set up panels like this or when panels are being set up like this. Do you ever get once this information gets out like it is up on the majorspoilers.com website? Do you ever get contacts from the publishers like DC that says, hey, you know, we'd really rather you not talk about this stuff right now because it's a it may affect what happens in court or something like that? No, nothing like that happens. Um, I mean, uh, I haven't. Let's see. I just sent it off to Marvel. I'm going to send it off to DC. I just like and Darkers. I like to send it to the comics companies mm-hmm. in advance because sometimes, you know, I, I actually want people to come to it and so forth. But no, nobody has ever. We've never had any issue with that. Um, the only thing that ever came up was one time we had a presenter who was going to show a DVD of a movie, right? Mm-hmm. You know, right. scenes from a, from a movie. And um, it turned out that they had gotten it bootleg, oh, right? Yeah. Because, you know, it wasn't out yet, but they needed to see the scenes. And so, you know, it's a little hi- legally hinky there, but, you know, needed to do the research and so forth. Well, it turned out that the DVD didn't go on sale until the week after Comic-Con. Ah, so we could not allow that to be shown because literally the lawyer at Warner Brothers mm-hmm. who wrote the contract on the DVD could pop up at the panel, yeah. you know? Yeah. And and that could cause a lot of legal troubles, not only for the conference, but for the Comic-Con, you know, legitimately right. so. It's, right, right. Uh, and so uh, that had never happened before. But uh, so that's the only, th- only thing that's ever happened where we've had to um, uh, have any kind of um, – uh, 
where we've had to be careful about something. Mm-hmm. Everything else, you know, we're, we're an academic conference. So we're, uh, I always get questions every year from presenters asking about sort of fair use and using images and, and everything like that. And we've had, uh, you know, Paul Levitz and, and uh, from DC, we've mm-hmm. had people from Marvel. We, you know, we've had uh, all kinds of different uh, pros at the conference. The um, one thing happened a couple of years ago where, uh, and I can't remember his name, but a, uh, a comic book artist found out that he was going to be talked about. And so on his <laughs> blog, he said, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to get them and da, da, da. Well, it turns out he had such a good time watching them talk, the scholars talk about uh, his uh, his work, that he took them to a party that night. Ah, uh, cool. Yeah. Cool. So, you know, I always like to check after the schedules come out, after the, the, the Comic-Con has posted its schedule, because that's when obviously most people get a look at the schedule. I always love to, I always Google, you know, Comics Arts Conference blogs and see what people are talking about on the blogs. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You, you had mentioned uh, a moment ago when we were talking about the, the strange state of Siegel and Schuster scholarship, um, you had mentioned this myth and this, this idea of the superhero as a myth. There's actually a panel that I think takes place on Thursday called uh-huh. Myth and the Superhero. This is 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, myth and the Superhero, where it says, uh, with examples drawn from the Superman mythos and the crisis on infinite Earths, uh, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Angela Nadalius. N- Nadalius. N- no. Adalianus, sorry, uh, okay. Adalianus. From the University of Me- Melbourne explores the intertextuality that has transformed superhero narratives into multiple myths. This is kind of interesting because it sounds like what we're really going to look at is not just the superhero as myth, but maybe the somebody postulating that maybe we should look at them as folklore and not myth. Yeah, there's there's uh, there's three panels on there, and uh, the one that I sent you, there's actually been a change. Uh, Trevor Strunk had to cancel, and okay. so I'll tell you about his replacement in a minute. Okay. Um, actually, I haven't told his replacement yet, but oh, okay. <laughs> so maybe he'll listen to this. Now I'm going to email him later today. Um, yeah, Angela's panel, and Angela actually is uh, University of Melbourne, where they had the very first superhero conference in the world back in uh, 2005. Oh, cool. Um, they flew me down there, which was very nice. And um, oh, had a big superhero conference. It was called the uh, Men in Tights. Oh, yeah. Um, so she's coming up. She's actually on the board of the Institute for Comic Studies. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, she's going to talk about uh, the way the superhero genre is one of the most successful instances of the possibilities of serial storytelling mm-hmm. and cross-media slippage of storytelling. And so she's going to uh, draw on and revise Umberto Echo's uh, mm-hmm. claim in that famous uh, article, The Myth of Superman, mm-hmm. uh, regarding the uh, the way the superhero story has a dual focus, the myth, the myth, yeah, sorry, the fixed mythic narrative, which makes the superhero an archetypal figure, and then the fluid serial storylines that make each superhero particular to his or her own cultural context. Wow. And she's going to look at the balance between those two. Um, the second one is by Stephen Combs, talks about superheroes as folklore. <clears throat> and he's debunking the whole idea of superhero mythology, that he, he feels that superheroes fit more with uh, the way folklore uh, uh, works, that, that superheroes are deeply embedded in the American subconscious. More like Paul Bunyan-type so, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. also, I think, yeah, I think it's going to go kind of beyond that, more along the lines of sort of like our um, the stories we, we tell about ourselves. So... Uh, uh, maybe 
maybe even further into kind of urban legend type oh, thing. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and then the third one is a fascinating look at uh, the role of uh, Bill Finger. Mm-hmm. in the transformation of the destruction of Krypton and Superman's origin. So it's, it's myth there in the sense of the mythos. Right. Um, but if you look at the very first origin of Superman uh, and the ones that appeared you know, over a couple of years, they're, they sort of tell one story, especially about Lara's role, uh, Superman's mother. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, in the initial Superman, there, there's, there's only room for one, only room for the baby to go. Right. Well, Later on in the Superboy from 1945 and the Superman origin uh, from 1948, when he actually learns about his heritage, Lara, actually, there's room for two. Mm. Lara could ride in the spaceship. She could go to Earth and be Supermom. But she says, my place is here with you, Jor-El. And, and so it's this, you know, it's this, uh, uh, odd sort of Oedipal moment, um, Michael Fleischer in uh, the Superman Encyclopedia, and I draw on this in my book, Superhero, um, The Secret Order of Genre, he talks about that moment of rejection by Laura mm-hmm. as this Oedipal moment that, that you know, his, the, his mother, the object of his desire, chooses his father, right? right? The competition. Right. Um, and rejects him. And, and what kind of a mother? What kind of a mother sticks your baby? Doesn't go, right? right. What, who is that as a mother? So, the, But the idea here that uh, Richard Harrison, um, who's at Mount Royal College in Canada, has he finds that Bill Finger is the figure uh, behind this story. And Bill Finger is also the person who wrote Batman's origin. Hmm. And so the real idea that there's a tragedy at the root of both Superman and Batman. The paper is actually called the dark night origins of Superman. So um, that there's a more of a connection there between the two characters and their origin stories than is commonly thought of uh, because people haven't understood the role that Bill Finger played in transforming this uh, destruction of Krypton into this, uh, into this real uh, moment of tragedy that haunts Superman forever. Mm-hmm. So that idea of Superman's relationship with Krypton that we have now, that's Bill Finger, you know? And, and, and so it's giving him the kind of credit where credit is due. I see. Well, that sounds pretty cool. It also seems like in some of these panels, in some of these presentations, that there may be some controversial or some conflicting information that... Uh, the fans believe one thing, yet research and and uh, study have found other things. In the regular panels that people go to, these uh, company panels, people are allowed to have a question-answer session. Can people go to these and respond to the presentation? Absolutely, and that's one of the things we pride ourselves on. At at most um, at most of the panels, like I went to a Nick Cage panel, right, mm-hmm. and you know you want to you want to ask Nick Cage a question, so you you get in line. And there's a microphone. You ask him the question, and then then they scoot you off, right, right. to keep things flowing. You know, right. you go to the Always Sunny in Philadelphia panel, and, and I wanted to ask a question. And by the time it occurred to me, I like looked over, and the line was going to be more time than it would have taken for the panel. So there was no chance for me to get a question. Yeah. At the Comics Arts Conference, we always have about 20 minutes for questions, which which works out well, and we don't have a microphone in the middle. We, um, I, I moderate the panels, and so I keep track of when people raise their hands. 
Okay, so we had just a little bit of a problem yeah. there, but uh, Peter, you were talking about how you moderate the panels and how you're giving 20 minutes of, of chat time for people to ask questions. Right, and so rather than lining up, uh, I'm, I see the people and they raise their hand, I keep track of the order that they, they uh, and they can stand up where they are and ask questions. Um, and it's different from a regular panel. In fact, one time we had a microphone there and people lined up and, and I hated it. Oh yeah, uh, because really it changed the it totally changed the dynamic. Um, when when there's the microphone and you're walking up, you're really sort of a supplicant. Right. You know, you're asking permission to ask a question. Whereas in the conference, and that's fine. I'm, I have no problem with that. They have to control those things in the big panels, and it's completely legitimate. But it's a different dynamic. Whereas in the conference panels, it's a conversation. Mm -hmm. Right. The audience is part of the conversation. And so we have, uh, you know, all sorts of people ask questions and it's a, it's a great thing and it's, it's, it's nice to do. Yeah. Good. Excellent. Well, one that's probably going to cause a lot of conversation is the Saturday morning panel, the one at 1030 that's called, is the Joker a psychopath? You decide. Now I find it, yeah, this is, this is something that's really fascinated me because when I talk about in my comic book to film class, when we talk about uh, villains and we talk about their origin stories. I often bring up the Joker and we talk about his psychopathic tendencies and we try to get a discussion on is it right for the comic industry to kind of pick on people's psychological problems uh, and and play that up as a, as a bad thing. Yeah, and the fascinating thing about this panel is, you know, is, is the Joker a psychopath? How do you know? I mean, are you a psychologist? I'm not. No, I'm not. And so these terms, crazy, psychopath, sociopath, they get thrown around. But, you know, what, what is wrong with the Joker? And, and do we know? And so we have two psychologists, Robin Rosenberg, mm -hmm. who uh, co-edited the uh, Psychology of Superheroes, and Travis Langley, who's at Henderson State University. You know, they know what the technical definition of a psychopath is. Right. So they're going to talk about how the Joker fits that definition. And, and what kinds of pathologies he has and what the sort of clinical diagnosis of him is. And then besides, so they're going to set that up and then they're going to have a conversation with Joker experts, including Jerry Robinson. That is awesome. Right, the creator of the Joker. Yeah. And uh, we're so honored to have him, uh, that, that he's going to be there. He's a guest of the con and so for him to participate is fantastic. But also Steve Englehart. Right. Yes. And Steve Englehart, if you look at the, the history of the Joker, you've got Jerry Robinson's creation of the Joker and mm -hmm. you've got the portrayal there, um, especially in the 40s. And, and when the Joker really first came out, he was yeah, in, he was, since, he was a yeah. murderer. He was yeah. vicious. He later became this clown, you know, the uh, the Cesar Romero sort right. of figure. And and what brought him back? Steve Englehart. Right. Right. With his, with that Joker fish. fish. Yeah. You know, not only is he just nuts and 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 vicious and crazy, and the, the scene in the Jokerfish comp where 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 he's in the the you know the copywriter the the patent trademark office and mm -hmm. he's he, he's mad he's going to kill this trademark clerk because he won't do something that's legally impossible, you know. And and there's a great scene in that book where one of the Joker's henchmen is asking him a question. He answers the question, then pushes him in front of a truck. Yeah, you know, to say don't at don't question me. Yeah. So Englehart is really the reason that we have Heath Ledger's Joker, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and the third person, the third guest on the panel is Michael Uslan, producer Excellent. of Batman and the Dark Knight. 
And so, you know, he's uh, back there and being responsible for the, the Nicholson Joker. Right. And also the Ledger Joker. You know, um, we couldn't get Jack Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe next time. But Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, you know, uh, Uslan's been writing um, uh, comics at uh, DC recently. And mm-hmm. so um, that's a lot of really um, great information there. And, and what's wonderful <clears throat> about a panel like this is, you know, if you go to a Joker panel, uh, uh, let's say, you know, DC puts one together or whatever – they're going to get into things and some history. You might learn something about about the past or what Steve Englehart was thinking, but it's it's not going to be rooted in the the clinical definition. There, the the you're not going to have that sort of scholarly backing mm-hmm. that that helps kind of ground it in something you know outside of the genre, outside of um, of the comics and the movies, but in in uh, in a scholarly tradition in a clinical medical you know tradition that uh, um, that that really gets at the root of something right and so this this will I hope you know open up an understanding of the Joker uh, that's different from the understanding that would develop by just going to a, a, a regular panel mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's it's amazing how you're able to get some some heavy hitters onto these panels uh, like Michael Huslin like Steve Englehart like Jerry Robinson. You're a guy, and we've talked about this off-air, even though we're not on-air, uh, but we've talked about this in other conversations, how you have just a Rolodex of, of contact, contacts. Probably not even a Rolodex anymore. I hate using yeah, it's a antiquated. <laughs> but you just know everybody in the industry. How hard is it for you to set up some of these panels where you call up Jerry Robinson or you make contact with, with his uh, publicity people or publicists and say, we want him to be on the panel, or Michael Uslan, we want you to be on the on a panel. How hard or how easy is it to get some of these these names to appear at, at a Comics Arts Conference uh, panel? You know, it, it varies, and it's not like I know everybody. I know some <laughs> people, but it's mostly that I know people who know people. You know more um, than fact, I do, so. <laughs> yeah, in fact, the uh, Institute for Comic Studies has a, a pro liaison who's this uh, this friend of mine who he knows everybody. Mm. He's, you know, he's given these guys beer money. He's, uh, right. you know, driven them around, and he's done all this stuff. Um, uh, and so, uh, but this one came about because um, I did a panel at uh, – the first thing that we got started on was the uh, the panel last summer at the uh, the conference at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the costume. Oh, right, Institute. right, the costume one, yeah. Um, well, um, Michael Uslan, who had actually been in contact with before that, um, I I went to give him a, a copy of my book at Comic Con, and so I had signed it and everything, and I walked up, and he's like, "Oh, I have a copy of that," <laughs> and so, oh, and you know. Um, so that was great that he knew my book. Right. Um, and I met him through Danny Fingeroth, uh, you know, longtime editor of Spider-Man. Um, so, but I got to know Michael through the, uh, um, through the conference of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And, uh, you know, he's the one who provided me with uh, the Jerry Robinson contact. Oh, cool. Uh, but, you know, that's one of those things where you know somebody, you, you trust them, uh, they trust you, they're willing to, to extend that. Um, right. The Steve Englehart contact came from the panel organizers. Hmm. Um, we were really hoping to get um, to to get uh, Mark Hamill. Yeah, that was, has, that's what I was just going to say. That yeah. perfect would have Mark Hamill on that panel. Yeah, he's logged the most time as the Joker, but yeah. you know, scheduling and 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 stuff. We actually made contact with him, but um, um, and that was again through uh, the panel organizers had a contact. And and the other thing that happens is Comic Con. 
um, is hugely, they're so cooperative and so they're wonderful. The people mm-hmm. there are wonderful. Last year, I did a, a panel called Playing the Hero. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get somebody who had worn the tights, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew I was going to get Christian Bale or, or, uh, or uh, you know, somebody like that. But I got uh, John Newton, the guy who played Superboy in the in the first right. season. The season on TV. And I got him because of a con. You know, Comic Con knew that he was going to be there because they've got their list of, right. of of attendees. And so they emailed him and said, you know, would you? Would you be on this panel? And he wrote back and said, absolutely. And so he was fantastic. Um, filled in a lot of the kind of concrete information of what's it like to wear the tights? You know, mm-hmm. how, how does it work? And he talked about sweating and, and all this stuff. <laughs> but it was, that's the thing is that uh, because we're, we're part of, uh, of, the, of the San Diego Comic-Con now, we're, we're a programming track. You know, they are happy to work with us to bring in um, people who would attract an audience. Right. right. Yeah. And frequently these people are there anyway. And so it's it, uh, it's a really convenient way. They get to promote whatever they want to promote um, and they get to participate in the conference. So very cool. It's I, really great. I think we're going to start a new new game at the Majorspoilers.com website that's going to be called Six Degrees of Dr. Peter Coogan. <laughs> and to see I, and I would bet that most of the time we can connect you to everybody else in the comic book industry in about two jumps or less. Yeah, maybe. Do you do you ever get times where you know and i and i know people use this term as a as a derogatory term but the fanboy that stands up and says well according to the issue number 526 uh so and so hero never would have done that uh how do you address that yeah that you know we do get questions um occasionally uh, there's i think about 2 years ago somebody asked the question and i actually said look um that's that's just not a conference question Okay. You know, uh, and I can't remember what the question was, but it it really got away from uh, the the discussion that we were focused on. Now, admittedly, that's not something that's going to happen at a regular Comic Con panel. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're going to maybe ignore the question, um, right. or blow uh, it off, or something. Yeah, yeah, or blow it off, or give a funny answer, or whatever. But uh, sometimes there are avenues that just um, really aren't what we want to discuss. Right. Um, and and so that happens occasionally um, because those sorts of issues aren't oftentimes relevant to the discussion mm-hmm. of the deeper issues that we're talking about. But, um, but it's interesting, though, that you do have a panel called Fan Power that talks about the power that it looks like from the power that the fans have in helping decide television shows and, and movies in the comic book direction. Is that what the Fan Power panel is about? Yeah, um, this is a this is a, a two scholars on this panel. Uh, the one, um, Andrew Friedenthal, is uh, talking about uh, Wonder Woman. You know, there's mm-hmm. uh, Denny O'Neill revised Wonder Woman in 1968 into a sort of kung fu super spy. Right. And uh, there was a response um, uh, by by fans and specifically by what he calls second wave feminists, uh, Gloria Steinem. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, she came out with a book. Uh, uh, well, Ms. Magazine, uh, Wonder Woman was on the cover of Ms. Magazine, right? In her costume, mm-hmm. 1972. And so he's looking at the sort of politics behind that depowering of Wonder Woman and the sort of rescue that was attempted by Gloria Steinem and the second wave feminists. And he makes the point that, uh, you know, figures like Wonder Woman are 
are real commodities. They're owned by the companies. Right. And, and no matter sort of how much uh, in a sort of folkloric sense, these characters belong to us, belong mm-hmm. to the readers, belong to the fans, you know, mm-hmm. belong to large American culture. There's that tension between them being money-making properties and between them being folkloristic properties. Right. You know? And so he's looking at the way that went down. Um, and so uh, looking at the role of fans back, and this is, you know, 1972. And so fandom had really kind of congealed really by about 1970. And the comic book companies really started to pay attention to fans. But before then, they hadn't, they hadn't paid too much attention to fans. And so this was one of those instances where there was a struggle of readers. It would be completely different now. You know, if when the companies tr- do something, it put a change in. Uh, uh, you know, change a costume. I mean, look at what sp- happened with Spider-Man. Right. Uh, in uh, in the '80s, when they put in the black costume, there's a big reaction against it. Or Superman's, you know, that, yeah, that blue, blue and red, red costume, mm-hmm. uh, the blue lightning costume. You know, you do those things, and there's a whole mechanism, a whole press, you know, blogs and everything, where people can respond. Back in the '80s, there were fanzines and so forth. Well, that this stuff really didn't exist in 1972. And and so it's an interesting case study in the way that these things have changed over time. Um, the other uh, uh, paper on that panel is called uh, – it's by Daniel DeBowie, who's a, who's a, uh, a medical doctor. And mm-hmm. he also has a PhD. It's called Hero and Heroes, the Millennial Generation Comic Book Fan as His Own Role Model. And what he's proposing is that in, in Generation X, which is my generation, right. and, and sense that there's – uh, that um, comics and this sort of popular culture and stuff wasn't considered kind of normal for adults. You know, mm-hmm. you were a, a fanboy, right? right. Um, living in your parents' basement, not really an adult. But what's happened in the you know, past uh, couple of decades uh, as, uh, you know, figures like J.J. Abrams, right? The geek mm-hmm. in charge, right? Mm-hmm. You know, have, have risen up um, is that now superheroes are sort of considered normal for adults. It, it's possible to have a career and, and be a person and, 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 you know, be respected as an adult right. who reads comics. And so um, what he looks at is he looks at the way that fantasy narratives have shift, shifted to reflect the millennial generation. And what he's saying is that as professional advancement has slowed in our culture, defining yourself by your career has become rarer because, you know, you don't have that long career. You're going to change jobs. Mm -hmm. And so what's happened is that fantasy has moved away from Oedipal narratives where individuals desire parental power and the quests, uh, you know, the quests are about them achieving that parental power and taking over for that older generation. Mm -hmm. What happens now is that the quests end with an abandonment of power what uh, he says, young termed individuation. And Heroes is an example of that. Right. Um, you look at um, the protagonists setting aside their elder generation's conflicts. Right. Right? Whereas their elders, their parents are hobbled with these Oedipal struggles, right? Mm-hmm. And you also have Hero and Ando. And uh, what they do is that that duo has discovered that comics and internet provide clues about their destiny, right? You know, right. the way they show the seventh uh, wonder comic. And, right, right. And Heroes provides an instance of the comic book fan as his own role model and resonates with the fan sense that his entertainment choices provide inspiration for navigating life's complexities. So he's arguing that there has been this generational shift in the meaning and purpose 
uh, of fantasy narratives in readers' lives, that they don't model the sort of the classic hero story is about a, a, a brave man slowly wise. It's about adolescence. Right, right. And he's saying that now these hero stories have moved into a different kind of adulthood, uh, that they're providing a kind of a model and a kind of uh, um, saying that you can draw your sense of identity, not from your career, not from your job, but from your entertainment affiliations. And, and I think that's perfectly played out in, in Heroes with Hero, who really should be the head of his father's company once his father passed away. Uh, he should be following in his follow, father's footstep, but when he's first introduced in that first season, he's this lowly office worker who's obsessed with comic books and fanboyish charms, and eventually he becomes his own man by building up upon, you know, maybe some past experience uh, with his father. So, yeah, that's that's really, really, really interesting look at that. And so, again, that should be a, a fantastic panel, I think, uh, 10.30 on Friday at the uh, at the show. You know, all of these, I'm looking at these panels, there's like, some of them are back-to-back, some of them have maybe a little break in between them, and you moderate all of these. When do you have time to go and enjoy the show? <laughs> Well, actually, we have we do five hours a day for four days, and and there's a ten minute break in between the panels, and um, yeah, you know that that's one thing I used to I used to do more going out and seeing panels. Although with the lines the way they've gotten, you know, I don't have an I can't go to the heroes panel right. because I can't stand in line for two or three hours. Right. Or whatever. Um, so I do less of that. I I do tend to um, sometimes like last year I would actually introduce the panel run off to talk oh, to somebody or track yeah. somebody down, come back and finish up the panel. Oh, so okay. I'm kind of there, but I'm, I'm not there in some ways. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's grown and it's tough, but, uh, you know, it's, it's part of what I'm doing as the director of the Institute for Comic Studies. Now, technically, the Comics Arts Conference is not an X production. Um, right. It's it's a programming track within the comics within the Comic Con, and so Ix is not formally uh, officially involved in it. Of course, okay. because I'm, you know, it's yeah, just put on yeah, one. It's one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so you know, I'm trying to to meet with people to do things to to work on promoting the study, understanding, and appreciation, cultural legitimacy of comics. And so if that means I don't get to go to panels that I maybe would have liked to go to, that's okay. Um, but, you know, those five hours are pretty much packed. And But then afterwards, um, you know, we get to, we go out and drink yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, have a lot of fun and stuff. I love, co- Comic-Con is sort of high holy week for me. Right. Oh, were. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the the show starts technically Wednesday evening with the preview night. But then things kick off in high force on Thursday. It, I think the show opens at 10.30. I don't know why they don't back that up to like 8 o'clock or something. Well, they, they actually open the doors. The, the programming starts at 10.30. Um, the doors open. It used to be the pros got in uh, like an hour, 45 minutes in advance, and now everybody gets in at like 9.30. Yeah. Um, right, so. so the doors open. You can get in. You can do stuff. Um, it's It's great. Uh, yeah, registration is is officially at four, but a lot of times mm-hmm. it seems like they've opened it up earlier and earlier than that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, uh, I, the year that I went to the Comic Con was the year that the Brian Singer had his big panel in Hall H, and my wife and I got off the bus and we went right in and got in line, and I think we were probably the probably two hundredth person in line already <laughs> at nine o'clock. 
Uh, and we sat in this massive hall of probably a thousand people or more. To hear was, it, was it the one down on the first floor, kind of all the way to the left? Yeah, it's the Hall H. It's it's their biggest that hall 6, that they have. Six thousand people. Six thousand people. So yeah, I'm, 6, sure that, I'm sure six thousand people were in there that time because they all wanted to get the first glimpse of of what the Superman movie was going to be about. You guys are camped out in room thirty A and B, which are two hall two rooms that are joined together. Uh, how packed do do your panels get? You know, we we run between the room holds around. 200 people and so we run between 50 and 200 okay. you know just depending um, on the topic yeah the first year we've been in 30 ab uh it's a what you do is you go down and you get on the trolley and you head towards tijuana <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> no but we're actually happy to be down there i, I joke because we used to be in 7 ab and um and i i went there last year and there was so much noise in the hallway mm, mm-hmm. that i was so happy to be down kind of where it's quiet and we're a destination uh uh, uh track people find people go to us because they want to go to us they don't tend to wander in um and the first year we were down there we had you know really good attendance to, like last year uh once it started selling out mm-hmm. um our attendance dipped slightly because People now have to wait in line right. to get into panels. It used to be that people camped out for tickets to Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. And you'd get there on Thursday morning. Saturday was a giant you know, mess. You couldn't get in the doors because there were all these people waiting in line. Now with it selling out, it's great. You go. The, the lines are clear. There's nobody. You know, People are waiting to get in, but it's all much more relaxed. But now people camp out to go to panels. People will be at like 8 a.m. the night before. Right. They'll sleep in the convention center. I've heard. I haven't seen it <laughs> myself, but I've heard people are sleeping in the convention center to line up for you know the Battlestar Galactica panel or right. the Heroes panel or, right. or you know whatever panel, big big panel they want to go to. Or Jack Black, play, Jack Black played there with Tenacious yep. D, yep. and that line was enormous. Mm-hmm. You know, and it started. I don't know when it started, but it was there when I got there in the morning. Wow. So. Well, let's let's try to pack some people into the uh, the Comics Arts Conference panels. Let's go through some of the other other panels that are going on and just kind of run down through the list. On Thursday at ten thirty, you have Comics Courts and Controversy, which seems to be something that would complement uh, the uh, next day or Saturday's um, uh, Siegel and Schuster panel. Yeah, absolutely. It's Mark Greenberg, uh, Golden Gate uh, University School of Law, and he's been doing some really kind of cutting edge and, and really interesting work, especially uh, from the legal field. Um, he's a lawyer. He's a law professor. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to look at different cases dealing with comics and copyright. He talks about uh, a couple of comic book legal defense mm. fund cases mm-hmm. where the uh, the fund um, defended comic book store owners and there was a California tax law changed a couple of years ago to the way they defined um, what is taxed uh, with the uh, with the creators and so he they they took that on and he also is going to give a great this would be a great panel to go to if you're interested in Siegel and Schuster because he's going to talk about from a legal perspective the Siegel family's attempt to get back control over Superman. And, that's and a, the, that is such a the, murky the case. Yeah, that's such a murky case because there's claims from different sides that, oh, they signed off the rights this time, then they signed off the rights again, and now they're trying to get the rights back. It, it just – I love these law case-type panels or, or discussions or, or papers because uh, it's just so fascinating to find out this kind of behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on. 
Yeah. And can we uh, jump ahead? We actually, uh, we said we were going to talk about this earlier and we, we've drifted into other oh, things. Okay. Um, the panel, and if I can just sure, sure. Uh, Go tell ahead. myself here. Um, the Institute for Comic Studies is actually debuting, coming out to the public. Um, we're going to have a panel on Friday at 2.30 to 3.30 uh, where I, uh, I'm going to talk about what the Institute is, what our activities, what we've done, what we hope to accomplish, how people can be involved. And we're going to have our board members. Uh, we've got mm -hmm. on the academic side Randy Duncan, who co-founded the Comics Arts Conference with me, Stanford Carpenter, who's at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, where he's actually starting you know, a, a real comic studies focus there. Um, Angela Nadalnius uh, from the University of Melbourne. She's coming all the way from Australia. And then on the pro side, we've got Mike Richardson, who's the, you know, publisher of Dark Horse Comics. Right. He's on the board. Uh, Mimi Cruz, Night Flight Comics, a great comic book shop. Um, Danny Fingeroth, a longtime editor at, uh, at Marvel, now publish, uh, he publishes uh, Right Now magazine mm -hmm. through, um, through the Tomorrows. And Tim Strop, who... Um, he was with Cold Cut Distribution, and uh, uh, you know I wanted to have a distributor on there, but I didn't want to have Diamond, right? Right, because not that there's any, you know, not that I have any issue with Diamond, but I wanted to have somebody in there who had done distribution work, but wouldn't maybe sort of draw it, uh, uh, the focus away. Um, uh, you know, Diamond's a large organization, and so I wanted to have somebody there mm -hmm. who could talk about it uh, and help me and say what what. Can a what do you need from X uh, from a distributor point of view, but without getting tied up in some of the larger stuff? And the motto of X is uh, ask not what y you can do for X, ask what X can do for you. Excellent. And that's what I want to get across at this, uh, at this panel is if you're doing something, whatever it is about comics, let me know. Let me know through uh, the Institute for Comic Studies. We've got a Facebook page. Um, uh, we've got, you know, our own website. Uh, we've got a couple of things in the social media world going on. I've got a social media director, um, uh, Nicholas Yanes. And so let us know about what you're doing because I probably know somebody or mm -hmm. I can probably help make a connection for you mm -hmm. or I can uh, – there's somebody else who's doing the same kind of thing or, you know – I can tell you about some resource you don't know about or something like that. Right. Um, that's what it's, that's what we want to do. We want to be a kind of connective tissue, a bridge between the worlds of the readers and the fans and the, the, the professionals and the Academy and the industry and, and those sorts of things. That's my real goal with X is to provide a kind of nexus of communication. So is um, this panel then going to be kind of a recruitment drive to get people to join X or to, get on a mailing list or to, you know, yeah. at least become a part, a greater part of this? Yeah, to become aware of it, um, to really uh, uh, put X on the radar so that when somebody has something that's going on, um, one, of our, one of our things that we're going to have is a calendar. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to be a calendar of all the different sort of cultural events, mostly so that, and I want to make it a wiki thing so people can add oh, yeah. to it. So they can see the connections, you know, um, if there's an anniversary of something coming up, well, what if there's things going on in five different places, you mm -hmm. know, five different places across the country, and they don't know anything about each other, mm -hmm. right? But wouldn't it be great if they could cross-promote? Well, right. that's what I want to be here for, is to be the, that, that, that institution that can, can know what all the things are going on and say, hey, you were there and you there, you know, you in Cleveland, you in San Francisco, you're doing the same thing. Why don't you talk to each other and then step back out of the way? Excellent. Right? Yeah. Um, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, be, uh, for instance, the, there's a, 
uh, a magazine publisher contacted me because she they do uh, this thing about the ocean and they wanted a couple of pieces on comic strips and comic books that have dealt with ocean. And so I connected them with some writers um, from the comic book industry who wrote about Popeye and wrote about Namor. Cool. You know, yeah. And so that was good for them, and it w- was good for the magazine. It was good for the writers. They got paid. The magazine got what they wanted. And all I did was because I, I knew the people who they should talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the idea. Uh, uh, more, it's the, it's to join X, but in the sense of what is it that you need, and then how can I help you do what you're trying to do? That's the idea behind X. Cool. Well, I've got something to talk to you about after the show. To see if X can okay. help me. Uh, but that panel is Friday, two thirty at two at uh, room thirty A B. All the all the panels are in uh, room thirty A B. Um, right, and it's great. Cause you can kind of can't. A lot of times, people just come and, and they sort of stay day. all day. Yeah, you know, they come at the ten thirty panel and they stay till three thirty. Cool. Uh, do you want to jump back in and look at some more stuff on Thursday? Yeah. Uh, there's the comics theory panel uh, at eleven thirty on Thursday, and this is where we're going to talk about. What, whether comics are good or bad, whether the ten cent plague is real or not, or not at all. In fact, the comics theory panel, and we always have a comics theory panel, is because um, you know if you if you take a, a film class or you take a literature class or whatever, mm-hmm. there's always theory that lies behind it. Right. Uh, the first thing you do as a graduate student is take your you know theory methodology class. Well, comics for a long time didn't have theory. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, and McLeod came out with Understanding Comics, and that's great. Obviously, that's a central text, but McLeod's a comic book artist, not an academic theoretician. Mm-hmm. So what the comics theory panel always does is it allows uh, people with specific backgrounds in linguistics and visual literacy and, and, and visual culture to talk about their fields and how that applies. Neil Cohn, who's always our... our, our, our um, theoretician and and he's uh, you know he's in visual linguistics so he's going to talk about how our brains and minds make sense of the sequential images in comics oh cool um and he's using psychology experiments uh, uh he's referring to psychology experiments that use a uh, peanut strips mm-hmm. to investigate people's understanding of graphic narratives so he's really talking about you know what goes on there in your brain it's not just an I, a reader's understanding of how comics work but a linguist's understanding of comics oh work. very cool um yeah, Drew Jeffries is talking about uh, slow motion and the visualization of closure in Zack Snyder's 300. He's arguing that uh, the way that Snyder in the movie 300, obviously an adaptation of Frank Miller's um, graphic novel, um, the way that uh, the uh, slow motion is used in 300 serves to render visually the processes of closure, as defined by McCloud, that's distinctive to the experience of reading comics. So he's saying that 300 mimics the form of comics by manipulating film style, simultaneously animating the moments that occur between each comics panel and changing the fluidity of movement normally associated with the cinema. So that's a paper on you know, how comics as a medium and film as a medium are connected and how they interact and, 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 and how that movie is different from other movies because it's rooted not only in the material from the comics mm-hmm. but the theoretical you know medium specific aspects of the comics cool uh, it's it's f- interesting on how people make that connection we were do- reading Tintin on the last uh, major spoilers podcast 
uh, and we were we were talking about how in the space of one page or in a couple of panels, uh, Tintin goes from flying away in the Middle East and winds up in India in just like two panels and how people can make that mm-hmm. connection or how we compress that storytelling and yet it still makes sense in the long run. And so people who are interested in that might want to check out the the comics theory panel. Yeah, absolutely. And there's another uh, paper on keeping time in comics and it's about the way time is, which is normally you think of it as a kind of linear sequence, but, but uh, um, uh, David Olson who's a graduate student here at uh, St. Louis University, he talks about the way that uh, the rhythm of the, moving from single image to single image uh, transgresses the boundaries of linearity. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to look at Windsor McKay, George Harriman, Alan Moore, and Paul Pope, and that it's it's not just a simple march across the sequence of, of a line, um, but that there's a change of direction. Um, that reconfigures um, comics and, and the way that the time operates in there. And so that's, you know, that's something that you're not going to get at another panel because, you know, he's working on his, on his uh, dissertation and incorporating comics theory into that dissertation oh, along cool. with, um, along with, uh, he's in literature. So he's really, he's also working on literature, but, you know, having an academic talk about that it's it's different from having a cartoonist talk about it Mm -hmm. and there's something of value in both but uh, we hope to add that value at one o'clock you have a panel called nell brinkley and the brinkley girls and nell brinkley being one of the early 20th century artists who just came up with these fascinating uh art pieces um i think there's actually a book coming out soon or is out called the the brinkley girls um right You've got a whole panel about that. Now, this is a little bit different. In, in Instead of talking theory or instead of talking about uh, law or something like this, this is a, a panel just kind of like a historical perspective on who Nell Brinkley was and, and the uh, the power of, of, of her art. Yes, and it's by Trina Robbins, and, and her book on the Brinkley Girls uh, will be coming out. Um, I think, actually, it says it'll be published uh, yeah, it was published recently, and so she'll be available to uh, – um, I think she's going to be doing a book signing as well. Yeah, she does a lot uh, – Trina Robbins does a fantastic job of digging stuff up, mm-hmm. stuff that people have forgotten about or, or you know didn't know about. And so she's going to talk about these Brinkley girls um, who were these um, – uh, these figures in uh, uh, Sunday comics and uh, sort of along the lines of the Gibson girls mm-hmm. and the Zigfield Follies mm-hmm. and, and how her name – uh, was used to sell even things like hair curlers wow. and uh, you know early merchandise. We think of merchandising as coming with the Bat Summer mm-hmm. in you know 1989, but this merchandise had been around for a century. Um, and so Trina always gives these great presentations where you you think, really? Oh my God, I didn't know that <laughs> happened. Or that existed. You yeah. know this this sort of lost history. Yeah. Um, and it's out there. And and she's a big name, and she's always been a great supporter of the conference. Cool. Uh, we already talked about the 2 o'clock panel, The Myth and the Superhero, and that will round out uh, Thursday's schedule of events. And then on Friday, uh, kicking off, as we said, the Fan Power panel at 10.30, followed by, uh, again, another interesting panel uh, at 11.30 called Can College Prepare Creators for Comics Cre- Careers? Now, is this panel looking at from the art side, where you might have somebody from an art institute or someone come on, or are you talking about the writing side, or or what is this panel all about? Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's mixed. It's talking about all those different things. It's basically it does focus on art, but uh, also storytelling and 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 other things. Where they're really looking at, you know, what what college can do for you, uh, essentially, what the relationship between those two those things is. And 
Um, <clears throat> the people that we have on the panel, like uh, uh, Jackie Nodell, <clears throat> does a book called Superhuman Resources. Yeah. And that's a book about a, a kind of like an employment agency for superheroes. But uh, she just finished her master's degree. I think it's in art history here, actually, in St. Louis. Um, and she's the granddaughter of Martin O'Dell, the creator of Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's got a lot of, of understanding there of how academia works, how the, the comics industry works, uh, and how, you know, you break in. And uh, Hope Larson, who does a book called Chiggers, mm-hmm. David Peterson, who's Mouse Guard, uh, Nick Langley, uh, who has a strip called Rocket Llama. Uh, he's at Henderson State University. Okay. Uh, Marco Head does Marco's Corner. And, and they're really talking about the way – and. Uh, uh, Nick, for instance, is a college student, so, but he's also trying to become, you know, uh, break into the yeah. industry. And, and this actually, so that's a great panel to look at for people who are thinking about how are they going to get in to the industry. And um, I want to talk at the end, we'll talk about the thing. There's a couple of things the day before Comic-Con right. that have come up recently that I think we can touch on. Okay. Well, on the flip side of that, instead of this panel might be geared towards college students, you've also got one geared towards educators. Now, is this... Uh, and we were talking about comics in the classroom the last time you were on the show. Is this only for college educators, or is this something that someone who might be teaching an elementary uh, class might be able to incorporate as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the people who are on there are primarily college professors, but um, uh, Matt Smith and Randy Duncan actually have a textbook coming out called The Power of Comics awesome. from Continuum. And it's it shows how to teach comics – uh, sort of through a communications perspective, but uh, but not entirely. And yeah, this is one of those panels that uh, we always offer panels that teachers can come to and get credit mm-hmm. for attending. Oh, excellent. We have a, a, a continuing education thing. Yeah, continuing education exactly. And so this counts for that. And um, so it's really going to be a kind of roundtable discussion about how to teach comics. Uh, Mostly kind of focused on college, but a lot of it's going to be applicable mm-hmm. um, to whatever uh, other teaching you're doing. And also Greg Urquhart is going to be talking about collections of comic books and strips um, that are useful for scholarship and teaching. Uh, some publications, new publications that are coming about. Um, uh, let me just uh, pull up his actual description okay. um, of his panel here for a second. Um Academic research databases of comic strips, books, and graphic novels. And so Alexander Street Press is launching um, these collections, early British and American comic strips. Oh, neat. Um, uh, 1884 to 1938, and underground and independent comics and graphic novels, 1953 today. They've been working with the research libraries at Ohio State and Michigan State to create online collections of comic oh, books and strips. Excellent. Which are, you know, um, indexed so you can find things yeah. with metadata. Yeah. And so this is going to change because um, you're going to be able to access these through your university databases, right, through that's, the libraries. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, I'm hoping this, that this stuff will actually be online. And, you know, for the fall, because I'm teaching a class on history of comics, and if I can have the students just go to the databases mm-hmm. and look at some of those old strips from the 1890s, you know, it, it's great to have that those resources available. I'm going to yeah. go to my universities and, and, and ask them to subscribe to the database, to these services, yeah. because uh, these, these are the kind of things that, you know, you can look at historical newspapers. So, you know, but you can't, I did a, uh, some work on Superman. I was looking at the comic strips, and I couldn't actually search for the comic strip. 
because they're saved as images right. in the database, right. and they're, they don't have metadata. Well, here, we're going to have the metadata, and you're going to be able to find stuff. Well, educators so. or students who are listening to the show and, and want their university to get in onto this service, and they have a lot of services at, at, at your library on the college campus, uh, ask them if they're part of that, and if anything, have them sign up for it, especially if your college or university has a course in comic books. And there are more universities every day that are adding um, courses in in pop culture and comic books into into their listing. So check that yeah, out. Yeah, and the ex- I'd like to, for this now, jump ahead, staking with the sure. idea of students. Yeah. Um, on Saturday, or yep. sorry, Sunday at 2.30, it's the last panel. Mm-hmm. And this is always a fantastic end panel. This is, I think, the third year we've done this. Matthew Smith, he's at Wittenberg University. He actually runs a class. It's, uh, and I think we talked about this last year, too, for students. They get college credit. Oh, cool. And what they do is they meet. Uh, during the week, they arrive there on Sunday, so they start having class on Monday morning, mm-hmm. and they do some readings for ethnography. And then starting on Wednesday, they fan out throughout the com- Comic-Con and interview people and collect samples, and, and they wow. come back and report. They do an ethnographic report on what they have found. And I have learned so much from them about – the sort of political economy of Comic-Con, the right. hierarchy, everything. I just love this, and it's a great wrap-up. Yeah. Um, and it builds off of Matt Putz's work in comic book culture, mm-hmm. Fanboys and True Believers was published back in uh, 2000. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at the way fan culture operates, the way fan practice operates, marketing, um, the way professionals and fans interact. Um, it's, it's, it's just the most fascinating Does thing it- that – you have does it look at trending and those kinds of things too like is it a way to i mean not only just the from the the scholarly perspective but is there some kind of marketing there where somebody might be able to cull data and say hey here's here's where some trending is coming on let's get on this next wave or anything like that um yeah absolutely i think so and what it what's fascinating about it is that it it's rooted in that week you know, so the, the presentations they do are rough because uh, they've been doing, they're just, it's like instant scholarship. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then what they actually do is they write the papers up in a formal sense afterwards. Okay. And so then those papers go on the next year's um, uh, DVD. We sell the, um, for donation, we sell the uh, proceedings of the conference. Ah, because I was going to ask about um, And that. so we have, right, most of the time we've got several of the papers and PowerPoints and so forth for this year's. For each year's, we get them in advance and mm-hmm. put them on. But then we always add last year's um, uh, papers from Matt Smith's class. Okay. Um, and so the stuff that's there, it's fascinating, really interesting, and it's it's kind of raw and immediate because it's what's happening now. Um, and so this is a panel we always hope to offer that he can you know he can get enough students to do it every year, and he's been successful doing that for three years. That uh, it's a great way to attend Comic Con. And kind of get more out of it mm-hmm. in some ways than just going. So, and I was going to ask this, and so I'll kind of repeat it again. At most conferences where people are giving scholarly presentations, either the paper is available online or there are printouts of it where people can come up and pick it up. Do you do that at the, at the Comics Arts Conference? 
Uh, not exactly. What what happened was, uh, and it in most conferences, you know, you might be able to get a paper from the, the person who's presenting it. And sometimes right. I've been to conferences where um, they actually sold copies of the paper, mm-hmm. you know, to raise money and mm-hmm. so forth. But typically, what happens is you go up after the panel, exchange cards, exchange email addresses with the person. That person emails you the paper. I see. But, but what we what we do is because several years ago somebody asked if they could get the papers, and I was like. Oh, uh, I could go photocopy it for you, but you know, you photocopy at the convention right. center and it's Kinkos and they, right. there's a, you know, it's more expensive and, and having all that paper to haul around. And I thought, well, I'll just get the PDFs and the PowerPoints and the Word documents and just do it that way. And so I just started do, supplying that uh, three or four, I think five years ago, actually. Okay. So um, we don't get all of them, but we get a good. Uh, representative sample of them, and sometimes people send them afterwards. You know, they want to polish them up, and and so. Uh, but those uh, now they're. It used to be a CD, but now they're on DVD because the DVD holds so much more. Right. Uh, and it goes back, and it's got um, you know years papers from the past, and it's got uh, index of uh, comics magazines like the Comics Journal and Comic mm-hmm. Marketplace, and we've got uh, there's a scholars uh, gathering called the Comics Studies Forum, which is just scholars getting together to talk about the current state of the field, mm-hmm. the academic field, the future of the field, and so a lot of those position papers also end up on the disc. Okay, um, so it's a great way to kind of you got to get a history, and I actually have somebody working now. This is one of those. Uh, things uh, about somebody asked what he could do for X. I get these emails. People say, <laughs> what can I do to help? And I was like, so I sent him the DVD and he's going through and reformatting stuff and also tracking down past presenters who maybe didn't send theirs in and, and who presented before we actually started doing it. Right. Um, so he's, we're hoping to get a really much more complete record. That's not going to be done in time for this conference because it's a, it's a huge job. But uh Ultimately, we're hoping to be able to have all those things on, and ultimately, we just want to have them online, mm-hmm. but uh, haven't sort of made that uh, jump in the technology yet. Okay, so this is available for DVD where and when and how much? It's at, at the conference. It's $2, and that's just to cover costs, and you can pick it up from me at uh, at the conference, and afterwards, if you send me a DVD, I'll burn you one. Oh, okay, excellent. You know? and, and I prefer for people to do that rather than sending me money because if you send me a DVD – and a self-addressed stamped envelope, I put it on my computer, I burn it, I drop it right back in the envelope and send it to you. If I have to arrange, you know, oh, yeah. postage, yep. you know, all that stuff, it can just take me longer. So it's much quicker if you just send it uh, like that. And I'm happy anybody wants to send me that. You can go to Institute for Comic Studies uh, or, or Comic Studies at Gmail. Send me a note and uh, I'll, I'll set that up for you. Excellent. Okay. So make sure you people write that down because... I want all these papers. I want to. I want to see everything. Especially, we've talked about uh, Superman panels. You've got a Batman panel coming up Saturday at twelve o'clock called "Becoming Batman" and "Batman Becoming." Is this? It yeah, looks like, is it that, about science um, about superheroes? A, oh, go ahead. I'm I, I was going to say, is this about the science of of superheroes? Uh, yes and no. And actually, there's a one of the interesting things is there's actually a, a paper during the poster session on. Um, actual science of superpowers and so forth. Okay. So um, that's a, at 3.30. But what this is, is Paul Zare. Uh, he's a professor um, up at the University of Victoria, and he wrote a book called Becoming Batman, Is There Science Behind the Superhero? He wanted to find out, could someone really become Batman? Right. Right? Now, was this, it, written, it could, up in, is it, was this written up in Wired recently? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, he got some coverage there. Um, 
he actually, I did an interview with him for uh, the Comic Studies podcast, which if you Google Comic Studies podcast, uh, you can get that. Um, and the book, it's available, you know, you can buy it anywhere. Um, but he really wanted to look at, is it possible for someone to become Batman? And the fascinating thing he concludes is that, yes, it's just, it's just possible it could happen. But the question is, for how long? Right. Because, it, you know, he's got he's got an answer to that question because he talks about, you know, like sleep deprivation and fatigue on the body and and those kinds of things. And the way you have to you'd have to harden your bones and yeah, and, and, and these sort of things. And, you know, he's he's a martial artist besides being a professor of physiology. He's a martial artist. And so he really comes at this from a, 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 a you know, multi-perspective background. And mm-hmm. he's got, it's a fascinating book and you really read it and, and come to understand Batman in a completely different way and what really Bruce Wayne would need to do. And I'm going to be interested to see if that book kind of works its way into uh, the comics and into, you know, writers and oh, stuff yeah. thinking of Batman. Yeah. Because it's real. Yeah. This is what re- people would have to yeah. do it's kind of like the um another book that was put out a couple of years ago wasn't it called the science of superheroes that talked yeah. about you know could peter parker have saved gwen stacy or would her neck really would have snapped or and those kinds of things uh let's just put it this way for people who want to pick up this book uh, i'm not going to become batman anytime soon <laughs> i'm too old and too out of shape and this is something that uh, from what i read um is going to take minimum 10 years to become anywhere close to what Batman is like in the comic books. Yeah. Uh, so I, that's another good panel. Uh, one o'clock on, uh, on Saturday, or we've already talked about the, uh, the strange state of the Siegel and Schuster scholarship. And then you've got a poster session. What are the poster sessions all about? Well, poster session is a different kind of panel. Most panels, uh, the presenters are up on stage uh, they, they do their presentation, there's an audience, there's a chance for questions, um, and that's fine, it's great to do, but what the poster session, we have it for a couple of reasons. One is that sometimes people really want to have that in-depth conversation, mm-hmm. and so the poster session we've got, uh, it's somewhere between 15 and 20 uh, presenters. Um, it changes, you know, if we get a cancellation, we slide somebody from the poster session into the presentation session. Right. Um, but what this allows is uh, we range them around the room, and so then uh, we have their poster books, which is basically their presentation printed up in advance. People can look at it, come prepared with questions, or you just go in and look at it. The presentation is run on the computer, the person standing there. Um, this really is a, a model that comes out of the sciences mm-hmm. um, where they actually put posters up right. of the, the experiment or whatever. Right. But you really get the chance to talk about the specific paper with the scholar. And so, you know, we've got a paper on um, Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. the way uh, Marston created Wonder Woman to enact his project of emotional re-education and female love domination. Um, we've got uh, a paper about the, the, how the real world, the circumstances of the 1980s led to real world vigilantes mm-hmm. and violent uh, fictional heroes and antiheroes like uh, Bernard Goetz, right, right in the right. subway but also Punisher. Uh, we've got a great panel about facial, defi- a great paper about facial defiguration. Yeah, I saw that. You know, scarring um, uh, Dr. Doom and Two-Face. Yeah, um, Jonah Hex, the Joker, uh, all those guys. Yeah, another one on uh, um, Iron Man, uh, the film as a palimpsest. A palimpsest is a document where you've erased and rewritten and erased and rewritten. Mm. And the way that the, the film 
uh, offers a reinterpretation, a sort of rewriting of it. And then one of the things that we always do, too, is that we find that people will present things and we'll go like, oh, that's a poster panel, right. you know, where we are able to put people together. So we've got one on gender and sexuality about uh, how the Waking Dead series, which is about uh, zombies, mm-hmm. call, you know, reconfigures gender because are, do zombies have gender? I don't know. And then uh, one on concrete, Paul Chadwick's oh, concrete. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. uh, typically heroes have to give up their sex life. Mm-hmm. But uh, Chadwick's concrete, although he's in this body um, that's not a human body, he's actually able to maintain a sex life right. as a hero. Right. right? Uh, we've got a, post- a Batman poster panel on why the Dark Knight needs a boy wonder. And also in the way in which uh, the Dark Knight Returns, Miller's book, uh, subverted dominant voices of 1980s patriotism. Hmm. Uh, we've got a romance comics, right? On uh, Jer- um, Jack Nodell, who's on the, uh, the, the one about college, she also talks about the forgotten romance comic book work of uh, Winslow Mortimer, Don Heck, Jim Stranko, and others. And then uh, Jared Kobeck talks about the way the counterculture kind of came in and the way romance comics tried to commodify that. But it didn't work, yeah. And why? How romance romance comics kind of died at the uh, with the the kind of rise of the counterculture, um, mm. and so we've just got a ton of of really interesting presentations there, and and uh, the poster session allows us to have you know fifteen or twenty more people and expand the conference. But also the reason our presenters like it and the reason the audience likes it is you really get to have a conversation with somebody about their topic. So this is right. one where people can kind of walk around the room and go up and talk to people specifically, or does everybody get like five minutes to kind of give an overview, and then there's time for people to go up and talk to these people one-on-one? No, they're ranged around the room, okay. and so you come in, and you get to go and go from panel, go from uh, uh, presenter to presenter, and, and uh, like I said, the papers are available, or the, the presentations are available in advance, so you can come in with specific questions, or you can just have a conversation. The person talks about what they're presenting, their their ideas, mm-hmm. and then you ask questions and go back and forth. But that's one of that that sort of in depth thing, that sort of direct connection. Right. Uh, people like to have that, and so we that's another thing that we can provide. Um, you know, it's a little bit different from the regular panel, that yeah. you see. And it's different, in fact, from just even a regular conference panel. Yeah. Now this one goes it's scheduled from two thirty to three thirty. But surely with this many presenters, and since this one is the last one of the day, does it spill past that time or are the comic convention uh, organizers there saying, okay, time to clear out? You know, it, it doesn't, unfortunately. We used to get an hour and a half for the poster session. Mm. Um, and, you know, as, as Comic-Con has sold out and gotten more popular, programming space and time has gotten tighter and tighter. Right. And so we had to crank that one back um, to an hour. And then at the end... You know, just like at the end of all the all the panels at three thirty, we clear out of the room, and then you know somebody else comes in. Actually, last year, and, and I think we're going to have to wrap up. Um, last year, at the very end of the conference, um, I noticed that there was the the um, uh, the Imperial Legion was meeting the the, oh, the guys who mm-hmm. dress up in mm-hmm. you know Star uh, Star Wars troopers uniforms, and so I actually I went out of the room, so I'm up there right, and I leave. And I go out and I talk to the the commander of the the Imperial Legion, 501st right. Imperial Legion, and I get him to 
agree to doing this, which is he came in at the end, the very end of the panel, and I was up there talking, and he said, you, Peter Coogan, by <laughs> Imperial Order 563, you're guilty of subversive activities. So he had a couple of guys in armor and big guns, you know, and they came and let, they arrested me. So I've been arrested as subversive to the, uh, to the Empire. Ah, uh, cool. All right, so we're running out of time. Is that, uh, is that what's going on? And, or do you got a few more minutes still? Yeah, I just have a couple more minutes. I've got to okay. go, unfortunately. So Sunday, uh, just a couple of quick panels. We've already talked about the, the culture of popular things. Uh, 10.30, Cold War Comics. So if you want to find out what was going on as, uh, as the U.S. tries to take on those evil, evil Ruskies, you're probably going to want to check that one out. Probably really good for Justice League of America fans. Maybe some Iron Man fans as well. Uh, we've got the 11.30, we've got the changing identity of the superhero, which probably could be very, very good. Uh, and then we've got at 1 o'clock, Comics in Museums, uh, which should be really Yeah, and good that's well. a great panel. We've got two people who've got a background in, in art and museums, uh, uh, Kim Munson and Michael Dooley, but also Dennis Kitchen, right? Cool. Excellent. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, everybody, I tell you what, if you're going to the San Diego Comic-Con... Do me this one favor. Do Peter Coogan this one favor. Do yourself this one favor. And try to go to one of these panels. Go to one of these presentations. We've gone, we've spent over an hour talking about them. There is something here that I think everybody will like and something that will help further your appreciation of comics and your understanding of, of comics in our society. Peter, thank you again so much for being part of the, of the podcast. You are welcome back at any time. And again, you can go to the San Diego Comic-Con taking place July 23rd through the 26th in San Diego, California. If you don't have your ticket by now, too bad. But for those of you going, check out the Comics Arts Conference that runs in conjunction with the con. Peter, thank you so much again. And everybody, we'll be back on Tuesday to talk more about comics because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you next time. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of a Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Stark raving rich like a man of iron Might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the hard cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being 
shot up in a pond be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Yeah, yeah, yeah! What a major spoiler! Whoa, 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 whoa! What a major spoiler! Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009.